how can we make organizations prioritize accessibility? Is it about the business case, the very compelling business case, the ROI on accessibility? Or is it about the knobbly stick of the law and regulations? Well, let's hear from the expert panel that convened at TechShare Pro. Keeping the picture big, the next conversation is going to be um, some people from outside the UK talking about their perspective on uh, how we make change happen, and in particular talking about carrots and sticks. So um, we know that, um, as Caroline has explained, you, you can win the hearts and minds of leaders, um, but we also know that sometimes they listen uh, to the idea that they have a legal obligation, and we know that uh, the stick can be as useful and powerful as the carrot in terms of making the change happen. Um, what In the UK, we have a particular picture of that. Um, what we've deliberately done here is pick people from outside the UK to tell us their perspective. So, um, Ellie, can I... Uh, introduce you. This is Ellie Southwood, who's the chair of the RNIB and uh, is chairing this session. Um, I'm just going to check with you, Ellie. I'm go- I've got the Slido here, so I'll join Perfect. back in again. Yeah, or, or, so I've got I'll the... chip in if anything happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll send up a flare if I need something <laughs> for the Slido. Um, okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm chair of RNIB, and we are absolutely delighted to be sponsoring TechShare. Um, thank you very much indeed for Google's hospitality and for you all for coming. Fantastic opening from Caroline there, I think, really puts us in the right position, reminds us why all of this is important, why we do what we do. Um, And we're in an interesting place in the UK at the moment. So we have a European Accessibility Directive, which, believe it or not, does put an obligation on public sector websites and applications um, to both enforce and monitor their accessibility. I think there's probably a mixed view in the room about how that's that's going. Um, But we also have an incoming accessibility, um, some accessibility legislation as well, which will go wider. Now, whatever happens in terms of Brexit, it will be up to individual member states to implement that. So what better time to talk to um, experts from across the globe on how it looks from their perspective, what works, what really doesn't work, and what, you know, that might mean for us in the UK. Uh, So, um, we have uh, four fantastic panellists with us. Alessandro, Malin, Stuart, Yuval, you're all very welcome. Um, We will hear from each of them in a second um, on their perspectives. Um, But first, just just to give you a snapshot of where where RNIB is is on this. Um, So, we think of ourselves as a catalyst for change and have a really strong track record of collaborating with businesses collaborating being the key word there. Um, We've been at the forefront of international advocacy on digital access, Um, again working collaboratively with many household names, including Samsung, Google, and everybody you would expect. And in fact, the voice of Amazon Echo actually came about um, originally as a result of an RNIB introduction. We're very proud of that. Um, Our innovation work also sees us providing expertise on products. And part of that expertise obviously comes from our community, our customers, who are always up for giving feedback and helping us all keep improving things. Um, So we tend to take a collaborative approach. Our experience is that recognising the needs of business alongside the needs of customers works well. However, I think it's fair to say that None of us believe that we have cracked it. 
there is still too much inaccessible stuff out there, technical term that. Too many barriers remain and many of our partially sighted and, and blind customers are really, really struggling in an era where digital, you know, shift, shift to digital is actually how people are going to be consuming stuff. So let's hear from our four panellists. Um, I don't know what order they're sitting in, so this is going to be as exciting for me as it is for you. Um, Malin, should we, should we start with you? Okay. So Malin is head of, now this is a fabulous job title, <laughs> head of authority for universal design of ICT in Norway. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I uh, head the authority in Norway where we were established in 2013 and we oversee, in Norway, uh, the regulation came in place uh, for both public and private sector, uh, for all apps, websites and self-serving machines. So we oversee or try to oversee <laughs> uh, that they all um, uh, follow uh, the regulation. Uh, and as you say, we have far to go. <laughs> uh, it has improved, I'm, I'm glad to say, uh, uh, the six years, but uh, there's still, um, there's still uh, far to go also in Norway, of course. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And what's, the, what's the sort of response been to, to that, I suppose, greater level of expectation around enforcement? Has there been much of pushback? Not so much, really. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, that's maybe, maybe they don't. <laughs> yeah. They aren't aware yet. Uh, everybody. Well, what we've seen is that uh, I think in Norway we don't call it accessibility; we call it universal design. And I think mm. the aim is to try to find some way to change society. It's 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 a society change, and it has to come from government, but mm. also from businesses and from. Uh, leaders and stakeholders and the users uh, all coming together. Uh, so uh, we do uh, what we're famous for. We, I, I, I don't know if I'm representing the stick in this uh, <laughs> group, uh, but we, we, uh, we do uh, inspections yeah. of uh, businesses, uh, and, but both public and private, and we do issue fines. So that is... You, you should have thought this would make the pushback harder. Uh, but we have tried to uh, use both the soft approach and the hard approach. The important thing for us is to make people understand why uh, we are doing this and how they can do it. So the, the aim for us is not to find people. It is to make them do things better. Uh, so we try to use guidance and more softer approach mm -hmm. as long as possible. But it definitely helped to have a stick, I think, yeah. uh, in the end at some point. Oh, uh, lovely. Always good to have a stick in your pocket, yes, <laughs> even if uh, the carrot is what, is what we're leading with. OK, fantastic. Um, is there a, a sort of high-profile example? Can you give us an example of where you have had to fine or nearly fine and how, that, how that's worked out? Yeah, we, we do have one case that was highly profiled, mm. which is the SAS airline, mm. uh, which we did an inspection and there were quite a lot to correct. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they did have a time frame which they couldn't meet, which were quite long, actually six months at that time. Um, and when they did not meet it, we, we issued an order. We, we, we call it an order and they get 10 days to fix it and if not there were fines and the fine were then set to 15,000 euros a day uh, 
That sounds like a lot of money to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's in the higher end, I, I, yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah. But, uh, of course, what, what we look at when we set the fines is the, the company size and then uh, the, the importance of the service to everyday life for the users. Mm -hmm. And uh, booking an airline ticket is quite... Uh, often used by most people, so it's an important service. And then, of course, there were a lot of errors left, so then the, the fine should also reflect on how big the errors are. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you very much. We'll come back to you shortly. Uh, Yuval, um, perhaps hear from, from you next. Founder and indeed president of Access Israel. How, how do things look from your perspective? Well, uh, first of all, thanks a lot, Tekshar Pro. Uh, for this amazing event, and to be able here to be here to share from our experience. Well, in uh, Access Israel is a non-profit organization that is aiming that the life of all people with disabilities in Israel and in coming to Israel will be totally accessible. Okay, so. We do that for all disabilities in all spheres of life. Now, the first around 14 years where with, we, did, we promoted that with no legislation at all. Mm -hmm. So we only had the tool of the carrots. Mm -hmm. So we have thought a lot of how do we make such carrots that will be effective. And the idea was to make a business case out of accessibility and inclusivity. So we had a number of ideas that we used them all. The first was an accessibility badge. Everyone likes that his image will be better to their clients. Mm -hmm. So that was the first one we used, and it was amazingly effective. The second was a slogan called... Accessible business equals profitable business. Mm -hmm. Okay, even though it never was researched uh, in any academics and proven true, it sounds true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. It's easy to convince it, but it never was proven because the target market is so large. So it, you know, eighteen percent people with disability is the biggest minority in the world. You know, all those slogans—they work. And um, the third that was amazingly effective was using the press. We actually engaged all the medias, TV reporters, newspaper reporters, internet reporters, all of them, and we tell them, why don't you be players in making them ha that happen? So they actually jumped into this mission on two ways. One, the positive way, complemented those that implemented, and on the other way, gave bad articles on those that are not. And you know, press is amazingly effective. And then we had um, social responsibility. Okay? This is actually, I'm sorry to say, it, quite a bluff. Okay? On one hand, it's supposed to be taking care of our issue. On the other hand, it was not in 
the standard or in it's not even it was not even measured in the Israeli uh, uh, social responsibility organizations. So we made that also a criterion, uh, a criteria in the uh, in this. Uh, organizations that are checking the social responsibility of companies. Um, also, we used, we must say Google, okay? We used Google also as a convincing a way, especially when we were talking about websites and the way they are shown on the uh, search engines. Um, so using all of that, we had managed, especially the large organizations from government, from municipalities, and from the business sector to promote accessibility in a great way. So this was the first stage. We were very afraid what was going to happen when the laws were uh, going through. And the laws uh, were passed at 2013 and got affected uh, only then. And we were afraid if it's going to backfire on us. Mm-hmm. If now that it's a law, that it will damage the trend of accessibility. Okay. And we were very surprised that in the beginning, the reaction was bad. People say it's going to cost us a lot. Mm. And how are we going to do it? We don't even see the clients, <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. But after a few months, it was zero. It, went, it was amazing. So today, our recommendation to all of you don't be afraid, mm-hmm. aim high. Make legislation because only on the only on the carrots, you will never get a hundred percent accessibility. Yeah. When you have laws that are aimed high, at one point it will be there. So don't be afraid. Aim high, and yes, it's okay to use a stick of legislation, and the legis- and the stick in Israel is that you can sue company. Everyone can sue company. Yeah. Something unaccessible. You can just sue it. And it's <laughs> used, it's being used, being used effectively. And you, the last thing that I would say, that even the judges like us, they are pro-accessibility. Pro so um, it's a journey, so we saw both sides. And if any one of you want to learn more about it, feel free to, you know, to elaborate with me later on. Thank you. Thank you very much. And what I really love about that is, is talking about accessibility as if it's a perfectly manageable thing to do. I think sometimes we, because often the frustration yeah. is what we lead with and the fact that we want it to be better. And I think sometimes starting from a position of expecting it just to be there and just to be right, I think there's a lot for us all to, to think about in, in that. So we've been to Norway. We've been to Israel. Let's, let's go to Europe now. So um, Alejandro um, is policy coordinator of the European Disability Forum. Hello. Hello. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, well, first of all, thank you, thank you so much for the, for the invitation. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, for those who don't know uh, the European Disability Forum, 
We are the, the platform that brings together organizations representing persons with disabilities at European level and also national level. So our members are those organizations representing, for instance, mm. uh, Blind and Partially Sighted, the European Blind Union, the European Union of the Deaf, Autism Europe, Inclusion Europe, and also those organizations uh, at national level also representing the, the disability movement. Mm. Um, so. Uh, for the past years, uh, EDF has been very, very active on, on, on accessibility, on achieving that, that, that stick. Um, and, and that legal framework, necessary legal framework on, on, on that end, actually, uh, we've used a, a double approach. On one hand, we've been uh, pushing, advocating for uh, disability-specific legislation at European level, mm. such as the directive you mentioned, the, yeah. the Web Accessibility Directive but for the public sector, and also the recently adopted European Accessibility Act, which goes way beyond, and is, it has a very strong component on, on ICT, on new technologies, which is great. Um, unfortunately, not so good on built environment and transport, no. unfortunately. Um, we can go into that later if you wish. And also within also, it's very important, uh, mainstreaming accessibility in uh, sectorial legislation when it comes to audiovisual media, when it comes to telecommunication, e-government, now artificial intelligence. So we've been acting in, those, uh, in these two um, strands and also obviously in standardization. And um, I would say that, uh, that it's, it, it's been a, an interesting journey and very, very successful when it comes to e-accessibility. Yeah. Finally, the EU has uh, catch up with the, with the US and even, I think, uh, went a little bit beyond in some, in some aspects. And um, the, 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 the key uh, and what, what we found was that uh, when you set accessibility provisions in a, in a legislation, for instance, in the, in the legislation about public procurement or the use of uh, European funds, it says there that, uh, that you must buy accessibly. You must buy always uh, accessible products and services. But it didn't happen. And why is that? Because it didn't have uh, accessibility requirements. It was just an obligation. You need to buy to take accessibility into consideration. But what does it mean in practice? So uh, from our perspective, what we found is that uh, you need, first of all, a comprehensive scope in the legislation because you cannot just regulate accessibility of the e-books without regulating uh, or setting the accessibility requirements for the e-readers mm. and the, 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 the ways in which you access those e-books. So you need accessibility, as we all know, is, is an end-to-end um, environment that needs to be addressed uh, uh, holistically, if I may. So you need this, this comprehensive scope in legislation. Then you need, as I said, the, the accessibility requirements for industry, for public administration, for NGOs to know what we, what we mean when we talk about accessibility. And in that regard, you need also technical accessibility standards to support those requirements for industry to know how to implement those or how to fulfill those accessibility requirements. And lastly, obviously, you need a robust enforcement mechanism. And this is what we've been advocating for and more or less successful in, in some areas more than others on, on a European level. Thank you very much. That point about the holistic 
thing is, is really important, isn't it? Because if only one part of the chain, if you like, is, has that focus of accessibility or inclusion, um, then actually in terms of the customer or the you know, person at the end of the chain who actually wants to use the yeah. stuff, it, it's kind of might as well not, you know, not, not be at, at all. Um, so one of the questions which has seven upvotes on Slido um, is around why we don't have more legal activity in the UK um, on, on this issue. And so I think this is a perfect moment to bring Stuart in. Um, uh, Stuart is Managing Director of Litigation, Disability Rights Advocates. So, um, so Stuart. So I'm Stuart. Uh, I'm an attorney. I do disability rights litigation at Disability Rights Advocates. Uh, we have something in the U.S., we have a 30-year history with our main disability statute. It dates, uh, or it traces its roots back to the civil rights movement of the 1960s, race and gender equality. And one of the things that came out of that movement was wanting to make sure that you didn't leave things entirely in the hands of regulators. Yeah. Uh, there was some distrust, uh, particularly with the civil rights movement, of state regulators in particular, but also federal regulators. And so what you have is what's called a private right of action. And, and our main disability statute, the ADA, has really taken from that history. Uh, and how many folks know what a private right of action is? It's, no. <laughs> yeah, because you, you can essentially go into court and sue. And so for 30 years, that's what advocates have done. Uh, you know, when, when a, a person with a disability or a, an organization who has constituents with disabilities notice that there's a barrier that might be in violation of the access standards or the law, they can go into court uh, to enforce that. Uh, one of the components of the ADA and also the uh, various uh, state statutes we work with is that in addition to being able to go to court, that individual or organization, uh, if they prevail, so if, if, they, if there's a determination that there is indeed a, a violation that needs to be fixed, that, that person gets their attorney's fees and costs paid for by the other side. So there's an incentive to fix things uh, in addition you know, to, to the fact that the law exists. Uh, there is this stick of the private right of action and attorney's fees. And this has really been in existence for 30, well, almost 30 years uh, in terms of the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, that's combined with un, or a lack of clarity about what the regulators are doing and not doing. Uh, it, the Justice Department at the federal level is, is tasked with uh, issuing regulations and enforcement uh, of accessibility, particularly um, what I deal with in terms of, of access to technology and physical accessibility. Uh, but they've been very inactive on this in the last few years. Uh, and so we cannot rely uh, on the regulators in the sense uh, that some folks, I, I, I'm very curious in, in terms of Malin's work in Norway where the regulators have the power to fine. Um, that, that power in, in some uh, areas in the states does exist, but we can't rely on it. And so there really has been a push uh, to have the, the private sector enforcement. My, my nonprofit is private. Uh, we're funded uh, by some uh, foundations, but also by some of the, the, the fees that we recoup on behalf of our clients from the court. Uh, that, that's something that exists. Uh, there are several of us around the country. A lot of uh, NGOs do this kind of work. Um, unfortunately, there's been a backlash against this private right of action. Uh, there have been folks uh, who um, are less uh, scrupulous, who've been filing hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits against uh, companies based on their websites and their apps, uh, and the business community has actually taken notice, and, and a couple years ago there was a move uh, to get our Congress to limit this private right of action. Uh, at least uh, you couldn't really, uh, un under the proposed move, you couldn't jump into court 
uh, you actually had to give the business an opportunity to cure over a period of time. Yeah. That didn't end up getting passed, uh, although at some of the state governments have done something similar. Uh, the, the, the court where I do my most practice has a, a similar kind of notice requirement. Uh, so that, that kind of a backlash has really taken uh, some of the teeth out of our stick, so to speak. Uh, and one of the things that I'm very interested in is learning from others, you know, in addition to litigation being kind of grueling sometimes, uh, I'd rather be in a much cooperative position. We find that when we work with companies or covered entities uh, and you're in the midst of litigation, the hackles are up. You actually don't get to talk to the right people. Uh, We've worked with some advocates uh, in California and elsewhere in the States doing kind of a hybrid approach. Uh, They they call it structured negotiation. There's a woman named Lainey Feingold that's done quite a bit of that. And it's kind of, it's almost like her, her patented method of structured negotiation Uh, And that's totally removed from the courts. That's a negotiation that happens. It's written up. It's kind of like a contract. Uh, And then you you hopefully, when you have that contract, you get the lawyers out of the room. You put the tech people in with the affected individuals. You do some usability testing. You make sure things work. Uh, And then at the end of the day, if there is an agreement, you sign a contract. You may never, that contract may never see the courts. It's just about the fix or the access improvement. Uh, But it is enforceable in court. So it's kind of like a hybrid of the two. Uh, but I'm actually very curious in learning, you know, how to how to balance those approaches. We've, uh, you know, as, as advocates, I feel like we've benefited from the stick for the past 30 years. We've seen lots of access improvements. Uh, the courts have, uh, you know, initially the ADA didn't have any language at all. It still doesn't have any language at all addressing things like apps uh, and, and web technology. The courts have, have moved us there, kind of interpreting uh, the ADA in a way that kind of moves the ball forward, at least for, in terms of coverage. But I feel like we've reached a point where we might be pulling back a little bit, and I'd, I'd be curious to learn what, what others, especially folks who've done both approaches, uh, can tell us about, about the carrot and its benefits. But the Supreme Court uh, quoted that uh, Pizza Hut... Yeah, that's right. So, so there, there was recently a case that uh, came out of actually where I practice in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, uh, Domino's Pizza was, was the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it essentially, one, one of the benefits of that case is it essentially told us as advocates and the business community, look, you don't have to wait for the Justice Department to issue standards. You can actually rely on what exists in the community, the WCAG standards and others, uh, as, a, as a guide. Uh, so that, you know, you don't have to wait for, for the regulatory bodies mm-hmm. to act uh, in order to bring things forward to the court. So that was a positive. The Supreme Court didn't take it up uh, on cert, which means the appeal stopped in its tracks. So we, we, we hope that that's going to be the law, I guess, until someone brings another case. Um, but at least as of now, that, that piece of the stick is intact. Um, I, I would actually encourage the business community, we, don't, our, you know, we, we actually want our litigation side you know, to go out of business. Uh, so we, we hope to do more, more of the carrot and less of the stick. But I, I think, as Alejandro mentioned, uh, you probably need both, yeah. uh, at least in our, our, our litigious society in the States. Mm. You recorded. What's that? You sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a really interesting observation as well, I think, about unintended consequences sometimes, isn't it? I, I wasn't familiar with the idea of that, uh, that idea of sort of vexatious um, litigation in, in, that, in this context and actually how you know, that potentially damages the, the whole effort. So I think that's really, really interesting to reflect on. Thanks for all your questions on Slido. So there's a couple of themes. I think Malin, everyone in the room is feeling envious of um, the Norwegian position, um, but wanting to know more. So with thousands of websites around, how do you choose what to inspect? And 
How do you sort of go about that? And, and do you sort of offer support to organisations to, to improve things as well as doing this sort of inspection and enforcement side of it? Well, uh, yes, uh, we do. Um, we do different things. And I think it's so important. What uh, I don't think a stick in itself is uh, the, the answer to anything. <laughs> Uh, but what we have experienced with uh, the audits that we've done is that because to make uh, accessibility happen, you have to work on so many levels, mm. both with the tech people, but also with the leader. And I think all leaders and all, I think with a stick for the fines, what we have seen is it definitely brings management attention. Uh -huh. So that opens the doors for the tech people to move in and do what they often have wanted to do, but has not been prioritized, for instance. Mm. So we are 14 people. It sounds much uh, in comparison to some other countries, maybe. But we have 200,000 businesses to oversee. Which yes. is, we are a small country, but still 200,000. So how are we, are we going to choose them? So what we've put a lot of emphasis is on building our uh, status, looking at the status, doing surveys, mm. finding where are the barriers are the greatest, which groups of users have the biggest problems in what, which sectors. And then we've... We've just like chosen from there uh, because doing an audit is a very, it's a very um, time-consuming, yeah, sure. labor-intensive task. So we have to choose the right ones. And then, of course, like uh, Yuval mentioned, the media. Of course, if you mm. choose a business that have a service that is very relevant for many, uh, the media will get on board and write about that case and will you know, forward the word, so to speak, that this might be the consequence and this is what you have to do. Mm. Um, so we inspect not many, about 20 companies a year. Okay. Uh, but it's, we, we focus on the biggest one and the ones that have the most important services. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Um, a few sort of th a theme coming through on the questions as well. I suppose which hint at where the leadership for all of this should come from. So, you know, how, how can we expect the private sector to invest in this when routinely the public sector and government websites are inaccessible, the experience is, is rubbish? Um, and, and it'd be, you know, really interesting what, what Yuval was saying about the power of the media as well and, and where are the levers and where are the leaders I suppose for driving this are we looking too much to the public sector and expecting them to be first when perhaps we live in an era where actually there's more arguably more innovation in other places um, what are your thoughts uh, I think on the that? answer is uh, pretty simple yeah. uh, today uh, the leaders are the business leaders yeah. The business sector is leading and is showing the government how yeah. it's done. Yeah. Government is, is doing that because it's a obli civic obligation, yeah. mm. and it's actually doing it after the, the private sector. Mm -hmm. But I want to raise a very important issue when we are talking about tech accessibility website application and etc. We All the time, we're very uh, focused on the technology being accessible. But we don't put enough focus on teaching right. the clients, the target markets of our people with disabilities, of how to use it, to even know that they have so many accessible, innovative technologies that can change their life. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what happens, we have 
companies or organizations that have amazing accessible technologies and they say they are very little users because they can measure it. And they ask, where are all of those giant target markets that you are talking about? <laughs> and they are there. We know that they are there. But we don't put enough focus on having them, know about it, use it, mm. and enjoy it. Mm. And this is something that can help a lot, motivate, again, the implementers to do it more and more and better. Mm. I, That's interesting. Yeah, I just go, want to follow up. We've, yeah. we've had several uh, situations, unfortunately, where you, you uh, th through our client organization groups, uh, a fix has been put in some sort of uh, innovative technology, and then it goes in and it's not, it's not used, or it's not, certainly not used by the percentage of people. And we, we hear back that you, know, you, you did all this, you, you forced us to do all this work, uh, but we're not necess necessarily seeing the demand. And I do feel like the outreach is something we've started doing in our, in our casework, outreach to the community first, uh, first of all, to make sure what we're asking for is something that's, that's actually needed, and second, as, as a way of educating folks about the demand, but it's a lesson we learned the hard way. And we had, you know, we had some companies telling us we were, we were crying wolf, uh, when indeed there was a demand, we just hadn't really explored how to educate folks about it. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And what about from a sort of European perspective in terms of the conversations around legislation? You know, if what we're kind of hinting at is that access to these things is a right mm -hmm. and that people with disabilities have an equal right to access, mm -hmm. is there a cons sort of consumer end of that, if you like, about what, what we would have a right to in terms of being skilled and confident to use the stuff? I think so. And I, I, this, this has been uh, our... Our demand to the to the European Union, to the, to the Commission, and to the European Parliament, uh, accessibility as a human right. Mm. We are not stakeholders here. People with disabilities, we are right holders when yeah. it comes to accessibility. Yeah. So, and and we've been using this uh, this approach of carrot and sticks, and 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 you actually you can actually include carrots in the legislation. Mm. Mm. You know, and, 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 and for instance, in, in public procurement, we managed back in 2014 to include that accessibility should be considered as a, an award criteria. So the bidders with offering a product or a service with the highest level of accessibility would get extra points or would be selected by the public authority. This has not been used yet. The, 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 the problem as well comes when, when you try to, to include um, remedial actions and, and enforcement mechanism when it comes to the public sector. What, this, what you mentioned before, the difference between the public and the, and the private sector. The public sector, they don't want to, to include sticks for them. When we were discussing and negotiating the, the Web Accessibility Directive, we were proposing penalties. We were, and they, of course, they didn't. And they told us openly, like, we don't want to impose penalties to ourselves. <laughs> so um, this worked uh, for, the, for the, the other directive, the one that was adopted this year, the Accessibility Act, in which uh, the carrot is the EU internal market, so over 500 million uh, people and, and also beyond. Um, and uh, the stick is basically uh, if you don't um, live up to the requirements, accessibility requirements in the legislation, you cannot sell your product or your service in the internal market. And actually the, the authorities, the market authorities, will be able to, to stop you from selling the, your, your product. So here we have the, the, the two... Um, 
the two approaches in the, into the legislation, but, but it's, been, it's been difficult discussions. And obviously now the, the challenge will be to, to see how we how, how we'll roll out at national level. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. If um, I was to ask each of you of a great example where you've really seen um, either a huge improvement in you know, accessibility of, of a particular, I want to say website, but you know, experience or a digital experience, what would you point to? Because I, I think, I suppose I was just reflecting on you know, what we heard from Caroline at the start and actually making the case and how once you raise awareness amongst people. And most people will say, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we should do that. We want to do that. But how on earth do we start? Where do we get started? How do we make sure we don't end up in court if we're in the US? Or how do we make sure that people actually use, use this stuff? So are there any great examples from the panel and, and ideas about how an organisation could, could get started? I have a suggestion. Yeah, go for it. You go first. Somebody's got to go first. Go for it. First of all, I would say it's, it's key to, to hire more people with disabilities in, uh-huh. in organizations, in public and, and, and private organizations. And, uh, uh, and the, the, the companies, as we've heard, uh, with the 500, uh, the value of 500, yeah. uh, this need, I mean, the, the companies need a, a change in their mindset, and you need to have a leadership, and you need to. To, to, to have a universal design approach when it comes to yeah. uh, producing your products and services. And this year, also, um, we were involved, Malin knows about it, uh, on this uh, European standard, which I, I, I think is a, is a great tool that we should, we should promote uh, widely. It's a European standard on, on achieving accessibility following a design for all. And it's similar to uh, those management standards that companies use, like ISO 9000 and, yeah. and so forth. So these are like management uh, um, standard uh, quality standard in which it doesn't tell you that the accessibility requirement, it tells you the requirements or the recommendations for an entity, regardless if this is public or, or private, to, uh, to ensure that they have a universal design approach, or as we call it in Europe, design for all approach. Um, so to have a leadership, to have your uh, staff being trained on accessibility, to be knowledgeable on the different uh, accessibility requirements, with the aim of extending the range of users, with the aim of addressing those non-users for the moment. So I think this is a great tool that, that we could promote in the coming years. Fantastic. Malin, any thoughts from you on this? Uh, well, I think... What, is so imp- what I think was so important, Yuval said, is not be afraid. Yeah. Uh, because when we uh, included, we have all, always uh, got the question, why did you include all the private sector? But what yeah. you do if you include the whole country, everybody has to do the same, everybody has to uh, move forward in the same way. You also open a market for vendors and accessibility experts. And you, you, I think this, that is uh, maybe a takeaway, that you, you shouldn't just focus on this as a, uh, although I'm... Oh, or agree with you with the rights, but I think um, from a public perspective, it gets very like on the democratic side, the civic, mm-hmm. it's the right yeah. thing to do. Of course it is. But if you include all of private sector, you can also get the benefits and look at, you know, the profitable uh, sides of it and get it more in a holistic view, maybe, if you could just be brave and just take, include all of mm. I would like to connect All it to, yeah. to what Karen said in the beginning about Valley Bell 500. It's all start with the leaders. Mm. Awareness, understanding, and obligation. Mm. But it, coming bottom up, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you convince the leaders to do that, and they do it. On the other hand, 
it's not enough to have one company, another company, 20 companies. Mm. At the end of the day, we have to remember who we're doing it for. Mm. Yes. We're doing it for all people with disabilities, yes. trying to live their daily lives, yeah. simple life, simple yeah. tasks, every mm. day, every minute, over 365 days a year. Yeah. And if it's at the end of the day, it's not all accessible, we, people with disabilities, live a big cultural gap. Yeah. So you all the time have to think on the big picture mm. and aim to that. Yes. Okay? And it's very important, and again, I'm saying that because in my experience it's proven. Think on the total picture. Thank you. And Stuart, is there anything you'd add to that? I, I would echo the piece about hiring more people with disabilities uh, in positions of power in a lot of places, but also around accessibility. In the work we've had, um, whether it's you know an initial request or demand or even uh, at the end of litigation, where there are folks who are uh, persons with disabilities uh, who've had uh, life experiences in decision-making positions, it's been a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've often avoided uh, complex litigation, um, partially because folks can kind of sit down and, and talk uh, person to person on those things. Um, there have been some companies, like one that comes to mind, we have a couple large healthcare providers that have kind of taken this on. One of them is Sutter Health in California. I don't think they exist anywhere outside of the Western states in the U.S., um, but they've taken it on as a kind of proactive mission, kind of a universal design proactive mission. Uh, and have just started educating other companies uh, along the same lines. Uh, and that, that was nice to see that that was a company that we had, I think we had initially sued uh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, uh, but it, it's something where they, they put uh, a lot of attention to it quickly uh, and now are, are in a leadership position. Um, and they're positioned to us, and I, I, having seen the work, I, I, I take it at face value, uh, is that their disability affects, uh, you know, it will affect all of us, uh, and it affects far more people uh, than people in the C-suites often recognize. Uh, and so they've, they've just taken a proactive universal design approach, um, and I'm, I'm hoping others uh, will follow. So there's a real theme here, isn't there, about people in decision-making and influential positions as well, actually, because sometimes that's about being able to advocate as a customer or, you know, a user of a particular technology or, or website. Um, Thank you all so much. So I think, I think um, definitely themes around taking a holistic approach, um, you know, having the right people and influence in leadership positions, being brave, <laughs> following through on our desire to, to make an improvement. And I think, you know, making sure our carrots are as tasty as they possibly can be so that people are persuaded, but always carrying a stick, um, but being mindful, I think, about how we use that so that it doesn't accidentally take us backwards. I promised AbilityNet we would finish on time so as not to ruin their whole day's programme. Could I invite you all to join me in warmly thanking our panellists for this morning? <laughs>